0: I actually need to make a bit of a disclaimer before I read today's scripture reading in 1 Corinthians, because before you all begin to make fun of me for preaching the classic love passage just a couple weeks before Valentine's Day, I want to make a few observations about this text. You see, even though we often hear these words spoken at weddings and We might see them stitched on pillows or painted on wooden signs. Their original intention was actually not to address any kind of romantic love, because 1 Corinthians is a letter not written to a couple, but to a community, to a church like ours. And not only that, but this letter to the church at Corinth is actually written to a community in crisis. Maybe not during a global pandemic, but a difficult and divisive time, nonetheless. And so we can't read 1 Corinthians 13 in isolation of this context. So today, I invite you to hear these words as if they were written for us, Highland. Think about the implications they have for us as a church here in the year 2022 and how they impact what it means for us to live as the family of God in this unique time and place. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But when I became an adult, I put an end to my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three And the greatest of these is love. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you Oh, Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A metric it is a tool that we use to help us determine how we are doing and meeting a particular goal. It's the criteria we use to make decisions or the benchmark we use to help us assess how we're doing and to plan our next steps. For instance, businesses have a variety of metrics they use to evaluate their work, their net profit for the year, how many sales were made in a particular quarter, customer satisfaction surveys, how many people clicked on a particular advertisement, and the list could go on and on. And maybe you're like me and you haven't paid all that much attention to metrics before the past couple of years of covid and suddenly you and I are reading charts and graphs more than we have since our high school statistics class and over the past years we have developed metrics to use to help us make better decisions like The COVID positivity rate in our community, or the number of hospitalizations, or the vaccination rate. But even outside of COVID, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we use metrics all the time to help us make decisions. There are metrics in the weather that help us make decisions about when it is safe to go out and when we might need to stay in, when to cancel plans, like many of us did on Friday night during the unexpected snow squall. Who had even heard of a snow squall before? I know I hadn't. We use metrics like this to help us determine where we are going to live, where we go to school, where we work, where we go to church, there are even particular metrics at play that you and I use when forming relationships. What we are really looking for in another person, be they a colleague, a partner, or a friend. There are metrics at play that each of us use, perhaps subconsciously even, to measure our happiness, our satisfaction, our level of success. Maybe your metric for success right now is how many tries it takes you to get five green squares in a row in your daily Wordle challenge. Those tiny green, yellow, and gray boxes are metrics that we see popping up all around us right now. I can only imagine the Wordle graphs that are probably popping up in the comments right now. Actually, that would be pretty funny. But whatever the case, whether they are posted on Facebook or buried beneath the surface, there are always going to be metrics that we use to help us determine how we go about our day-to-day life. And I believe that today's scripture reading calls us out on what metrics we are using to evaluate our life together as a church, as a community of faith. Because like the writer says here, we can be doing incredible things. We can give everything we have to the poor. We can have faith that moves mountains. We can look on the outside like we've got it all figured out. But if we don't have love, the writer tells us, we haven't got anything figured out at all. Our benchmark, Highland Highland, Our ultimate metric always has to be love. You see, we can be doers of the word and not hearers only, like we see engraved on our stone walls. We can be this incredible thinking, feeling, healing community of faith that this city so desperately needs. We can do all the justice work imaginable. But if we are not doing it in love, we are nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Because at the end of the day, the most important metric that matters for who we are and for what we do is love. And so the question is, what does that kind of love look like for us? What comes to mind for you as you hear this text? Because when I hear 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of living as a faith community, I hear it in completely new ways. I hear it as the kind of love that shows up for one another, even when it's hard, even when we might disagree. This is the kind of love that seeks to listen and to genuinely hear where other people are coming from instead of demanding its own way. This kind of love doesn't get easily irritated. It gets curious. It asks better questions. It doesn't resent people or rule people out. Instead of moving away from them, this kind of love moves closer toward them. It draws a circle and takes them in. This is the kind of love that carries us through tough times like a global pandemic because it bears all things. This is the kind of love that holds us together even when we are apart because it endures all things. This is the kind of love that is expectant and excited about what may lie ahead of us because no matter what it hopes in all things, this kind of love never ends. But it's important to note what New Testament scholar Christer Stendhal points out about this text and that is that 1 Corinthians 13 is not a feel-good kind of love. He says that this love is not measured in degrees of warmth rather it is measured by how much tension and diversity it can take. It's measured by its elasticity, its capacity not to insist on its own way, as does knowledge and other things when they become touchstones of spirituality. But love is different. That's why love builds up. That's why love is the one thing without which none of the others will last. Stendhal goes on to say that the church has often missed that point. Christians know they are supposed to love, and by that they often mean having warm feelings about others. And so therefore it is considered shameful or improper to have tensions or even conflicts in the church. And the easiest way to avoid such is to gather like-minded, like-looking, and likable people. Then we can feel loving. But the point of this text is the opposite, he says. The gift of love makes diversity, tension, and even conflict possible. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And perhaps what the world needs now, and what the church needs now, is something like that. You know, in so many ways, Highland lives this out beautifully. One of our consultants for the upcoming capital campaign asked me this week, what is it that Highland does best? And I thought of it for a moment, and immediately I began to see your faces and to recall your stories. And I shared with him about how this church has been a safe space a space of welcome and healing and radical love and inclusivity for people who have been so deeply wounded by the world and even by the church. I shared that when Highland is at its best, we are a community that lives into and out of this kind of transformative love for all people, this kind of love that always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. And this is an incredible thing to witness among you, Highland, day in and day out. Even now, when we are in this empty sanctuary and not together face-to-face, Highland, this is the kind of love that keeps us tethered together. And yet I'm mindful that we have a lot of work ahead of us this year, don't we? We are still trying to figure out what it looks like to live in community with one another in the midst of a new COVID space. And we have a lot of work to do to discern and imagine what our church will look like in a post-COVID world. We learned this week that we are saying goodbye to a beloved staff member among us, Perry Dixon. And COVID has taken away some of the ways in which we might share this news and grieve it and wrap our arms around our youth and process it together. This is so hard. I know this pain firsthand. And as we begin to say goodbye and transition into what's next, we've got work to do to care for our youth and their families, to support our staff, and to discern the best configuration of a staff team to help lead us forward in the days ahead. And then we are engaging in conversations about reparations How we as a church have been complicit in, or benefited from, or participated in racist systems and structures. And if we as a church are ready to participate in reparations, whether that be through confession, or through finances, through imagery, through advocacy... Our task force has been working on this for a year and a half now, but we as a church are just beginning some of these conversations. This work, I've said all along, is hard and holy, and none of it is easy. And then on top of all of this, we are preparing to begin a significant capital campaign for much-needed building renovations, Not only to invest in our energy systems, but to make important improvements to our main floor so that Highland can continue to be this welcoming space for whomever enters our doors for years to come. We have so much ahead of us, Highland. And I believe that we are fully equipped for this work. We have everything we need to do what God is calling us to do and to be the people God is calling us to be. And yet, if we try to go about doing any of this work without being fueled by love for one another and love for this community, then we just aren't going to get very far. If we try to engage in conversations about reparations but we don't do so with a love for one another that is patient and kind, then we are not going to get anywhere. If we are going to begin to imagine a way forward for our staff and our building and our church, then we must go about it with a love that honors one another in the process. A love that doesn't insist on its own way, but gets curious about where people are coming from. A love that is imaginative and visionary and hopeful and forward-thinking. A love that will continue to fuel us throughout this work because it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things because love never ends. Which means this work of love that we are called to do, Highland, it never ends. And so, yes, we have a lot of work ahead of us, and we need you. We need all of you, all of us, engaged as our very best selves in these processes. I don't even pretend to have all the answers. But what I do know is that love has to be the metric for everything we do. That love is our brave next step, and that love is the way forward. Do you all remember a few years ago when the world was mesmerized by Reverend Michael Curry's homily at the royal wedding of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? I think part of what was so captivating and inspiring and refreshing about this moment was that Curry wasn't talking about a romantic kind of love as much as this moment felt like the fairy tale wedding. Curry knew he had a global audience and he was calling the entire world back to the power of love. An article in the Washington Post noted that his wedding sermon followed a week that included a school shooting in Santa Fe that claimed 10 lives and the killing of more than 60 Palestinian protesters the day of the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. It listed all these things that had happened that week, and yet in the midst of it all, it said he challenged us to imagine a love so powerful that it could completely change the world. In fact, in a 13-minute sermon, he mentioned the word love 60 times. He said, someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary moment in human history. A movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world and a moment mandating people to live in that love. In so doing, not only to change their lives, but the very life of the world itself. That's what love is, he said. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love is sacrificial, and in so doing, it becomes redemptive. And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, and redemptive love changes lives, and it can change the world. If you don't believe me, he said, just stop and imagine Imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. When love is the way, there will be no child to go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be our sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and our shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room for all God's children. Because when love is the way, we treat each other well, like we are actually family When love is the way, we know that God is the source of us all and that we are brothers and sisters and siblings, children of God. My friends, he said, that's a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new human family. And so, Highland family, I invite you this morning to stop and imagine a church Where love is the way. Where love is the most important metric that matters. Because I believe what the world needs now, what the church needs now, what you and I need now is that. May it be so, Highland. May love always, always, always be our way. Amen.